Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Welcome to the Magic Book Club podcast, the podcast that takes a deeper look into why our favourite authors put pen to paper. On this week's episode, we're going to be chatting with the absolutely fabulous Dolly Alderton about her debut fiction novel, Ghost, which is brilliant. We'll be chatting to the joyful Nadia Hussein about her favourite bakes. And as always, we'll be checking in with some of your favourite authors to find out just what inspires them to write the books we love. First up, though, we are joined by the marvellous Dolly Alderton, journalist, podcast host and a truly brilliant novelist. Dolly, it's ace to be speaking with you. How's it going? I'm great. I'm so happy to be talking to you, particularly because I just worship at the altar of magic. (laughs) And we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. (laughs) Job done. (laughs) Honestly, I'm obsessed. It was the station that I listened to all throughout my GCSE and A-level revision. And I like... If you could do an acknowledgements and a thanks when you get your results, there would have been like a big acknowledgements to Magic FM. That is, I'm so pleased. And did you do well in your GCSEs and A-levels? Yeah, very surprising. Very surprising to everyone. And I really do think it was the high volume of Natalie Imbruglia, Will (laughs) Young and ABBA. So thank you so much. (laughs) It's a great pleasure. I'm so glad that we could have been of help. That's really ace to hear. That's so funny. Um, And how, so lockdown has been, has been productive, has been, I mean, it's a super busy time with you with the book being out and everything, but some authors have had a great time. Some others have found it terribly claustrophobic and, and had, you know, managed to get nothing done at all. How has it affected Mm. your creative process? Well, I was really lucky in that when lockdown was announced, I had a book to finish. I had two chapters left of ghosts to write. So kind of when you're in the last section of a book, you don't want anyone to ask you to the pub anyway. (laughs) So it kind of, it served me quite well. Obviously I went mad and missed my family and... You know, all the day-to-day stuff that everyone finds frustrating, I found frustrating. But in terms of creative process and work, all you want as a writer is to be sort of left alone and not distracted to get <laughs> things done. So it, the timing was quite good for me. Just absolutely perfect, really. I want to see if we can have a word in with somebody, keep it going for as long as possible, because I would like <laughs> more of Ghosts, please. Um, before oh, we thanks. talk about that, before we talk about the book, we I just want to make it clear that you you have written a book before, but it was kind of a memoir, um, Everything I Know About Love, and it was, I mean, safe to say, the book of a generation. Did that take you by surprise a little bit, just, I mean, just how wonderfully it was received? Yeah, I mean, I still... I still can't really process it. I still haven't quite got my head around it. And I think I'll be sitting in a nursing home one day being like, God, that was weird that that did how it did. I did not expect that. I just think in life there are sometimes things that are so beyond your imagination or expectation. It will, it, there's no point even trying to analyse or grasp it because your teeny tiny like grey matter is never going to quite grasp it. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it, yeah, it's, it's um, not very um, tangible, is it? It's just not a very mm. tangible sensation. And I guess as well that, you know, the process of writing is quite insular. So you would yeah. never have a chance to sort of look out and expect some kind of return for that, I guess, would you? Totally. And I really do believe that the minute you start going like Liza Minnelli, tits and teeth, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word. Please do. <laughs> the, minute, the minute you start going like showbiz and start engaging 
with your audience. And when I mean showbiz, I mean like, as you say, looking out and staring yes. at their faces and being like, right, what is it that you liked? What numbers should I do? How should I sing it louder? Should I do this tap routine? <laughs> I just think that you are, that's a disaster for a writer. I think that obviously you have to have some sort of engagement with your reader and understand what they're, what's resonating. But I think it's a bad idea to get too het up uh, on why things have been a success or why they haven't been as much the success as you thought they would be and then start changing your writing or your storytelling process from there. It's, I think it, that's kiss of death for a writer. I, I wonder as well, because both me and my producer, Alex, are massive fans of the column in the Sunday Times. Oh, my oh, goodness thanks. me, it's so good. And I wonder whether or not that, that engagement that you have on a regular basis has made you much easier, made it uh, an easier, more relaxed relationship with the public um, and their opinions and and just having that conversation has made it easier for you to put you know something as personal as a, as a debut fiction novel out there do you know what I think the the journalism that I've done for years that was always quite personal yeah. I think made it a little bit easier to write such an intimate first book which was um, obviously about real life it, the absolute opposite was true for ghosts actually in the mm -hmm. Because, as in, it, it just, because I'm not writing about my real life, it just felt like total freedom. Because I felt like, do you know what? The worst thing that people can say about ghosts is that it's not well written. And compared to the things that people could say about the personal journalism or the personal nonfiction that I've written, which can yeah. be incredibly, which is my own fault, you know, if you're going to lay yourself <laughs> and your life out in the in in public consciousness of course people are going to have things to say or um opinions on you and how you live your life that that they have every right to have but that can be you know quite full-on and a bit of an existential um I, I just realized how much I swear while doing this interview Emma looking <laughs> so for another <laughs> you know existential vortex let's say Thank that you. um <laughs> And so the freedom of my work now, there being a level of detachment from my personal life, that actually feels very different from all the work that I've done yeah. so far. And it is a treat. I'm very much enjoying that experience. Well, that begs the question as well. Uh, is this just dipping your toe into novels and fiction or uh, was was this always a goal? Was it always on the cards? or And, and how are you feeling about further investigation into the world of fiction? Well, depending if anyone wants it, I would love to do it for the rest of my life because truly the whole process of writing this book from the first post-it post notes that I stuck on a big planning document to the very last copy edits were one of the most fulfilling and joyful experiences of my life. I know this will sound smug, but I can only say this because normally I find writing such a torturous business and the only <laughs> thing that the only thing I really like is sending it to my editor. But this is the first time I've done a writing project where I did not have one day I didn't enjoy. I just loved every minute of it. So I'd love to keep doing it. Well, um, I absolutely devoured Ghosts. I loved it. And um, there aren't many books that I've like literally sort of chapter two, halfway through chapter two, maybe texted Alex, my producer, who you just met, going, you've got to have this book. I was like, I'm going to send it oh, to you as I'm soon so as I finished pleased. it. This. Oh, it's just great. hilarious and tender and personal and brilliantly written. And um, I really, I loved it. I loved every, every bit of it. For those people who haven't had the pleasure of picking it up yet, tell us in your words about ghosts 
Yes, and this comes to the caveat that whenever I seem to describe this book, I make it sound like the most miserable 350 <laughs> pages you could ever read. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it so you can um, caveat that it is not as miserable as I'm going to make okay. it sound. So it's um, about a woman who is in her early 30s who ostensibly has her life completely on track. She's uh, Her career is where she wants it to be. She's a food writer. She used to be a teacher. She's had success with her first uh, cookbook. She has moved into a small flat that she's bought on her own, which she never thought was going to be a part of her future without a partner, without family help, which she didn't have. She's uh, come out of a relationship that she was in for all of her 20s. They're now incredibly amicable. They have. Uh, she has these wonderful friends around her. So she decides she's in the right place for the first time in her life to try a dating app um, that that um i don't know how many i mean the spoilers in the title really isn't it that yeah. <laughs> that does not go to plan and while that is happening she's also dealing with her father um suffering from dementia it's um i, I don't know whether you do you have any personal experience i know you did um a substantial amount of uh, research with dementia uk do, do you have experience of dementia in your family because it's written so brilliantly it really is Oh, thank you, Emma. No, I don't have it in my family. I mean, there was it, there was kind of thinking that maybe my grandfather might have had it at the end, but it was never formally diagnosed. And um, yeah, it, there's obviously a very, very big difference between an aging brain and a brain suffering from dementia. So um, lots of research was obviously completely crucial. There's some, and you know, with I, I think what what happens to our what what happens to Nina, our protagonist, who and what happens to her dad. Oh, my, oh there's a brilliant scene, the one the scene with Nina's mum where she just has a meltdown. Um, mm. Is so. Uh, it's it's so humorous but so sad and you um, and 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 I've got a friend who's I've got a friend who's who's um, whose dad. They lost a dementia a couple of years ago, and she mm. describes an afternoon exactly like that with her mum. Really, um, and these these whole sort of issues of identity and Catherine kind of going full blast off into her Surrey life, and then you know, um, turning up at Nina's doorstep is 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 genius. I absolutely love it, and um, that you've you've dealt with so many of these issues. It, where did you want to start with it? What was the what was the germ? I had an entirely different novel planned that I'd been working on for about six months. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know. I know. Kill your darlings. I just, uh, it'd been, I, I'm still really excited to write that book at some point. But I think if you're going to write a novel pretty much full time, it really is like a kind of possession. You have to create this whole world and then you have to sort of be possessed by these characters every day. And it's very intimate and it's very intense. And I think I knew that's what it was going to be like. And when I was writing the kind of final bits on this proposal for this whole other idea, I was like, I don't know if I feel an urgency right now where I am mm. in my life to be with these characters and tell this story and explore these themes every day for a year because I'd really cleared the decks yeah. and I'd said you know, I don't want to be doing anything else other than this, my column and my podcast, which actually, as I say, that is quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. 
I, everything out like the year before I had just had no time to write off the back of everything I know about love so I wanted some to carve out some proper writing time to be in a relationship an intense relationship with a writing project which is truly when I'm the most happiest and uh I was just thinking what else could I what else is urgent to me now what do I have to write and then just ghost just the idea of ghosting just came very quickly to me it was something that was happening a lot to people that I knew it felt like oh, it had just been I know I'm so, I'm so like so I'm nearly 50 this year Dolly and I am just like the, the one thing that I am so grateful for about being this ridiculous age with a stupid name that I have is like it's literally, <laughs> how can you be called Emma B when you're 50 anyway and it's like it's literally the fact that I have missed online dating and it's like I, mean, yeah. I, I, I don't actually think the result of men's behavior or people's behavior is necessarily the fault of online dating but certainly it happens and I can see it happening and I'm like oh my god I just want to like scoop yeah. scoop you all up and go it's okay I know. I know it's so funny when you talk to people about ghosting who've been in relationships for a long time they say these really sweet old-fashioned things and you can't believe <laughs> like what different planet they're on like I remember my friend who's married saying to me you know where's the honor where is the honor oh my god really <laughs> And I was like, honour, love. I'm lucky with just like basic politeness, honour. These virtues of like romance gone by, they've, they've gone, mate. They've long gone. <laughs> Jeez, that's like, yeah, what, what, what like she, we all experienced as older people, people riding up on horses with shields and scooping us up. <laughs> flowing hair that's how it used to be back in the day Dolly oh, I'd like a bit of that down Camden Road please down Camden Road um now uh there, we could like to try and find out a little bit about um our authors and mm. you mentioned um and how they write and you mentioned post-it notes and a, and a, and a planning board so are you a, a a real planner or do you sort of start somewhere and hopefully it gets to there do you have time limits that you set yourself would you just go for it so I'm a meticulous and bizarrely ordered planner in a way that I have never, ever seen in another writer. And I'm worried makes me actually not that, that creative. Like every time I try and explain the system to another writer, they're just like, that sounds mad. So with Ghosts, I did three months every day just planning. Um, Goodness. Had, wow. Yeah, I'm so... Like I would not be able to write without a plan um and we I've always done that with my journalism as well and um I do so I I kind of divided the the story into five plots this is when I'm going to start to sound crazy so it's (laughs) you know they were color-coded plots and then I yeah this is mad and basically if the higher it was on the plot list so if it's the a story then that's the one that you would need most of and then the lower the lower kind of rung stories were the funniest stories or the stories that didn't have as much importance with propelling the plot forward that were more like textural plots i then when i did these huge planning documents would have every beat of the story would be in a certain would be in the color so when I looked and then I printed them all out you would not believe the amount of money that I spent at the printing shop in Camden (laughs) when I printed them all out I would be able to see from a bird's eye view when I looked down if there was too much so let's say the d story is purple if there's too much purple in part two then it means I've done something wrong because there should only be a little light sprinkling of purple that's so (sighs) 
clever. I mean, I'm very tired even just saying it, but that I think (laughs) everyone, everyone has their own system, don't they? And I think for me, the only way that I feel safe enough to go really wild and roaming and sprawling uh, on the page is if I know I'm in the safety of this structure. So once the structure's there, then it's like I'm this like person that can improv and do wild free jazz, free dancing (laughs) on stage, you know? (laughs) She's there with her flute going, I've got a structure, I'm fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anthony Horowitz told us that he has uh, so because obviously he's you know his these ridiculous crime plots, and he has pieces yeah. of string linking people to places, and often has to kind of get up and oh, walk I the path. That. I know it's wicked, isn't it? It's really I love cool. that. Now, well, that's uh, a real science, isn't it? Because I've yes. got friends who write those kind of screenplays, and it's it's they use language of of like narrative structure that I've never even heard of when they're talking about you know magical rabbit holes and you know exactly. all these things that it's yeah. like a, it is a science that i think it's it's an amazing craft so uh, there is a novel another novel in the works yes can yes. you tell us anything about it at all no because my agent hasn't even he hasn't even seen the proposal but um yeah i've got i've got uh one idea that I'm that I kind of fully fleshed out which was the one that was going to be this yeah. one and okay. weirdly there are things in that story that now as a 32 year old a couple of years on and this a few things that have happened to me and a few things I've read and a few things my eyes have been open to I think oh now now I have the urgency now I need to spend time with you so I really do believe in the sort of mysticism of creativity and um listening to the I, universe yeah and I really do think I had a muse on my side with that. I think that muse was like, no, that's not the book for you right now. That's going to be the book that you're matched with in a couple of years. It's like a love affair, really, isn't it? So I feel like ready to embark on that quite soon. Well, it's an absolute delight to talk to you. I could chat for absolutely ages, Dolly. It's Me really loved. The, the, I've loved the book. Ghost is amazing. And also, can I just say as well, I've got to tell you this. So- tell me. You're going to kill me. It's hilarious. So I have a friend who lives in Camden who has a son yeah. called Orlando. And he's... <laughs> there can't be many of them. And you know what they call him? They always say, Lando! Lando! And I was like, that's her. I know it is. It's him. <laughs> and do you know what? they tell you what, there are lots of Landos in North London. I hate to say. Anyway, um, and, and on that note, um, I'm going to be looking forward to the next novel and uh, many more of your fantastic Sunday Times columns. Thank you so much. Dolly Alderton, lovely to speak to you. Thank you. I've loved talking to you. Thanks. So now I am absolutely delighted to be chatting to the lady that we all fell head over heels in love with five years ago after winning the sixth season of The Great British Bake Off. It's the wonderful Nadia Hussein. I'm so excited to speak to you. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Now, um, uh, we've been asking, we've been asking all of our authors on the book club about how the past few months have been. Uh, where in your in this latest book, where were you? Because were you? Did you have to do lots more baking in this time where we've all been locked down, or was it all almost done? It was. Um, well, this book, when, when, when I wrote this book, this was all done. But I'm always testing. I'm always writing new recipes. It's just a thing. Like dinner is usually something that I'm testing. You know, the kids are always... um, It was much harder during lockdown, I've got to say, because 
I could not find anything. I could not get anything. I ran out of flour. I ran out of sugar. Um, so it was really hard to actually do. I realized how reliant I am on the shops and ingredients to do my job. Um, and, and so it wasn't always that easy. It was not always that easy. I have to say, I did have to find ways of um, making do. It, it really focused your mind then actually it was so was it would you have said it was quite a productive time or was it a, more a sort of a you know a frustrating time no I think it it's definitely um honed in something that I've always always done and it, it, I loved the challenge I, I think lots of us did actually I think a lot of yeah. us really enjoyed the challenge of looking in the fridge and saying mm, what do I make with that and I think <laughs> that because we live in this world, in a society where it's instant gratification, we can get what we want, when we want it, and whenever we want. And and it's either a small drive away or a phone call away and ping, 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 it's all there. So when we didn't have that option anymore, it really did push us into a, really did, I found it pushed me into a corner to say, actually, what do you have in the freezer and what can you make with that? And that's something that I do anyway, because I'm not very good at wasting. I'm just, I, I don't waste anything. If I can cook it, if I can dry it, if I can use it in some way, I will. Um, and luckily I've got lots of pets, so they get to eat a lot of the stuff that I can't, so what pets have you got i didn't know that you had a house full of animals <laughs> oh we've got loads of animals so we have, have got you? yeah we've got eight pets so we've got what yeah and three kids two of which are teenagers can i just say which equates to actually having six children um uh, amen to that i have one as well i know exactly oh, what you mean yes. oh yes so we have four chickens um and we've had them the longest so we've had four chickens we've got four chickens we've got a rabbit we've got a tortoise we've got a budgie and a cat <laughs> That's yeah. genius and teenagers. So this was this was a busy household over lockdown. Yes. Um, yes. How, how did you manage the schooling and the baking? I mean, do you have spreadsheets or are you let's just throw it all out there and see what happens? See, my husband is the spreadsheet kind of guy. I'm slightly <laughs> more. I mean, I like routine and I like schedule, but I'm a little bit less kind of. I'm I'm less. I'm okay to go over by five minutes or finish half an hour early. But we found that actually at the very beginning we were quite uh, quite. Uh, we liked the structure, so we had a structure. They were allowed to, you know, wake up half nine, get everything done, half, and they've got chores. So they get up in the morning, they always do the dishwasher first thing. They, you know, on a weekend, they have to clean the house on a Sunday and they have to do all of their ironing on a Saturday, uh, Friday night or a Saturday morning. So they have their own routine that they have to get done without me even saying it. So it was nice to have that schedule, but then we did then sort of four weeks in, just said, nope, that's it. We need to be relaxed a little bit more. And that's yeah. how we just kind of did less schoolwork and ate lots of crisps, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, the, um, the, the amount of crisps we got through was obscene. I'd be like buying these packets of 36, you know, the big multi-packs. Mm -hmm, They'd be gone mm -hmm. in three mm -hmm. days. It was crazy. So I was buying those big kettle chips and then putting yeah. half the packet in a bowl and saying, I'm going to just eat this. And then my husband just, <laughs> by week four, he just said, look, let's just accept that you're going to eat the whole bag. So just put the whole bag in a bowl and just sit down. And I was like, okay, then. So that was it. So, um, but it's cool. It's cool indeed. And talking of eating, so uh, the, this cookbook, the, your latest book that is out now, takes us back to your baking roots. And last night I tried the caramel flan and chocolate cake. <gasps> yes. I made it. Oh my goodness me! Because I just I was so I don't know what it is about baking. It brings out all those 
childlike instincts. It takes you right back to being in the kitchen, being messy, doesn't it? And there's that magic about baking. Have you had a lovely time doing this? Oh, it's been just, um, the fact that I can share it now is is the best bit because actually you it's it's really nerve-wracking when I've written a book and then it has to go out and then people have to actually see it and make the recipes that's really scary because I just I want it to be perfect and I am a perfectionist I like things to be exactly as I say they are and so for me it's really nerve-wracking when people now people have their hands on the recipes they're making them but then you know, all those things, all those worries and all those stresses that I feel are completely squished when someone says, I made that recipe of yours and it was wonderful and this is going to be one of our uh, weekly favourites. And that, that's the joy. Like, that's the joy that food and baking really brings is that it can become, it can go from something they've never cooked or baked to something that becomes a family favourite. And that is really special. Um, that Well, we had so the caramel chocolate fun because there's that bit where the chocolate cake comes through oh, the custard. It's isn't it so, just a, it's yeah. amazing. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and um, my teenager, uh, so we cut it up because it's too much for, for, for all of us. So um, we sent, sent some up the road to our uh, our older neighbours, Anne and Alec, up the road. And then Brenda and Jeff had some next door. <laughs> nice. So everybody's had a little bit. It was amazing. I let anybody who gets this book just try the. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Um, and and the other thing that I love about baking as well is that it's it's messy. There's always someone licking a spoon somewhere, isn't there? You know, it's that. Although it's so, it, it just takes you right back to your roots. And I know, I know. However, that isn't this true that your mum used to use the oven for storage? Yeah, baking isn't a thing. Like for us, yeah. baking is not a thing. Like my mum doesn't bake and she would never ever like it's not a thing she enjoys doing at all and she I don't think she'd ever she has zero interest in baking even though I do it she's like no not into it but it's like for me baking has become second nature like cooking I cook I bake it and the two come hand in, go hand in hand for me but my mum she she's even now she has an oven because she feels an oven should come with a kitchen but she only puts her frying pans in there she's basically a cupboard it's just a, like a heated cupboard that's it. So, so where where do these recipes start, Nadia? I mean, uh, you know, you you seem to have you're so sort of there seem to be this sort of endless creative ideas coming from your uh, your big baking brain. Where do they start? Where do these recipes start? Some of my most kind of outrageous ideas come to me <laughs> in the middle of the night. So I will think something up, or I will eat something and think, oh, that'd be a bit nice if it was a little bit different. And I'm one of those people, I am those annoying people that go to restaurants and think, I eat it. And you can see me going, trying to taste what's in there. And so I'm trying to work stuff out. And and my husband does, sometimes he has to tell me, he's like, you can, you can turn it off now. You don't have to be working. And I'm like, oh, but let me just quickly put a little note in my phone. And so I, I'm constantly, it's always, and it's a part of, I suppose, how I was made and this is who I am and it's just I'm always trying to recreate different things but some of my best ideas come to me in the middle of the night and problem with getting those ideas in the middle of the night is that if I don't write them down um, sometimes sometimes writing them down doesn't suffice I have to get up and make it so I push it for as long as I can and I, I, I might wake up at rather than six I might wake up at five and start slowly like measuring out ingredients and pottering around to try and get this thing in the oven and my husband's just like just stop go back to bed and I just I won't I won't do it sometimes yeah some of my best ideas come to me in the middle of the night like chicken donuts come on Oh my goodness me of course well I mean you'd have to be in some kind of dream state to think of that wouldn't you yeah I mean I often get asked if I um if I um 
write my recipes drunk. And I said, I don't even drink. <laughs> no, I don't even drink. <laughs> I mean, imagine if I was drunk, imagine the recipes <laughs> I'd then get, you know, imagine the recipes I'd create then. Like these you're are non-drunk recipes. There, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Um, and now in terms of trying them out, obviously you're cooking at home the, the whole time. Are the family and the kids the first line of tasters? If it doesn't get past them, it doesn't go any further. Who gets to taste all this? This is, it's everything, I, I write all of my recipes um, in my, um, I, I write all of my recipes from my house. So everything happens from home. Um, and my my kitchen is very small. Um, and uh, between writing recipes, all 120 of them, and testing every single one, I my kids, yeah, and feeding the children, like, it's it's a, and animals it's really tough but we manage and they're my taste testers so if there's something that they're not quite sure of or and they're really they're getting much better at it they're like they might say oh mom i think that needs something a bit citrus and so we'll put a bit of lemon or some lime or some get grapefruit or something in it and and usually they're really good at telling me if something needs something else and i'll taste it and think oh and, and weirdly in in doing that they've really really got really good palates for food so there's certain things that they will taste and say oh mom i think you know they can work out if something's just slightly over and it's really it's really cool to watch how they've progressed in the last five years when it comes to food that might that must make you feel great have there been any times when they've just gone what are you thinking this is not good the only time the only time they've ever done that is when i was on bake-off and i was doing uh what was I doing? I was doing like a, a Bavoir cream, which is like a set uh, jelly, creamy kind of jelly. And um, I did a lavender and white chocolate. And I remember, like, you've got to be careful with lavender. And this is the first time I've ever used lavender in one of my recipes because I do yeah. a blueberry and lavender scone pizza in the, in the book. Uh, and that's on the show as well. And you have to be really kind of, you can't be heavy handed. And, and it smelled, it tasted like, clearly tasted like a bowl of potpourri. And my son just said, <laughs> Mum, and he's never said this before, he's just said, don't ever put anything like that in my mouth ever again. I was like, okay, that's a no-go. So I avoided lavender on Bake Off. And once you've got, I mean, there's so many recipes in this book. I mean, and I'm, and I'm assuming there are there are plenty that didn't make the final cut. What what makes what makes a recipe stay and what makes a recipe be chucked away for the for the next time, maybe? Weirdly, like every single recipe that I do is one that is going to go in the book. And sometimes ah. it just needs tweaking and it needs moving around and changing a little bit. And maybe sometimes a recipe that I thought would go in a lunch chapter actually needs to go in a breakfast chapter. So it's just a little bit of maneuvering and moving around and tweaking as opposed to getting rid of completely. Because I think when you start off with a title, you know, it, it, it's born with just a name and then you give it bones and skin and, and it becomes this beautiful recipe by the end of it. And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort to kind of flesh out this, what is essentially a title to begin with. But I do it all from my house. So, um, and that's what I love about my books because, you know, I, I take, it takes me months to test 120 recipes from home. So every time I'm, that's why I think there's so much nerve, there's, there's nerves attached to when I release a cookbook because I know I don't have a team, it's just me, like just me. And I, I refuse to ever, ever get to a position where I have to give it away and say, here you go, can somebody else write these recipes for me? Absolutely no way. They will always come from my head and they will always come from my kitchen and my heart. And that's really important for me when I write my books. 
I, I didn't doubt it for a second. It's, it's, and I'm, just, I'm so pleased that you said that out loud. It's really cool. Talking of which as well, I mean, you know, it really isn't very often, Nadia, that, um, that a TV reality show, uh, a competition, finds such a kind of natural presenter, such a natural person um, who, you know, who, who has done so well in this, in this arena, not just as an author, but, you know, on the telly. People can't get enough of you. It's a joy watching you on the telly. Are you still finding it as easy um, as you make it seem? Is it still as fun as you make it seem? Oh, it's that side of, of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean it's loads of fun. It's it's. Um, I think at the beginning, uh, I am. I'm not very good. I think I'm my own. I'm my own worst critic. Like I am so good at criticizing myself, and I always say the things that I say to myself, I would never say out loud to anybody else. So I don't know why I'm so horrible to myself. Um, and I do. I think when you, I can't. I struggle to watch myself on telly. I just think it's weird. I think it's really. I can't watch myself back I think it's really bizarre um so I do watch from behind cushions and like hide a little bit but my kids you know I I I watch back and I kind of look back to some of the things that I've done like very early on and I look at how much I've changed in those years and how much I look like I'm enjoying it more and I think the more I do it the more comfortable I become and I think the less the thing is with me I think I'm quite uh, I have I have inhibitions and I, I worry about what I look like and how I sound. And We and, all do, exactly. Yeah, we all do, exactly. Yes. We all do. And there's a moment in your life where you say, you know what, it doesn't actually matter that much. And um, and if you can let go of this, and I think we'll always have inhibitions, but I think in that moment when you're doing something that you're slightly afraid of, when you say, actually, does it really matter? Um, and, and, and you're doing, and you, when you give yourself good vibes and say nice things to yourselves, you actually do, we can all do a really good job. And I, I love doing what I do and it gets more and more fun the more I do it because what's happening is I'm growing. I'm growing as a writer, I'm growing as a presenter. And as I grow, I find confidence. And the more confidence I find, the the more I enjoy it and the better I become. So yeah, I'm growing, I'm still growing. And we've all got growing to do. There's a lot more to come from Nadia Hussein. I know that for sure. So, um, of course, the million dollar question, Nadia, before you go, we've got to ask you this. <laughs> go on. You know what's coming. What's um, coming? Favourite to win this year's Bake Off? I'm going to tell you, I haven't actually watched one episode yet. Oh, my God. Is that, that's progress for you, though, isn't it? That's amazing. That is, I, I mean, haven't that's... watched. <laughs> I haven't watched one episode. Is that terrible? Is that terrible? <laughs> Oh, it's probably it's probably the right thing to do actually. I actually have a break off. Yeah, I actually decided. My husband said, "Should we just binge after a couple of weeks?" And I said, "Yeah, let's just binge." So in a few weeks, we're probably just going to binge, and then if you ask me in a couple of weeks, I might be able to give you my a name of somebody who I think is going to go through. But I always get it wrong. I always get it wrong, even with myself. I was like, "Tamal's going to win. Tamal's going to win," <laughs> and then I won. So I didn't even I didn't even bank on myself. So now. Who knows? Uh, I think I think we all had we all had a sneaking suspicion you were you were definitely up there with the with the top runners for quite a while. Um, listen, um, I think you're wonderful, and this is a gorgeous book. And I had a slice of the chocolate and caramel flan for breakfast this morning. Yes, um, <laughs> yes, uh, which has put a smile on my face, and it's going to see me through for the rest of the day. Um, thank you for another wonderful book, and thank you so much for speaking to us here on Magic. Thank you so much. Now, I'm sure that you've been diving back into your favourite novels over the past few months. I confess to being a bit addicted to Agatha Christie novels at the moment. I'm having another go at the murder of Roger Ackroyd. So ever wondered what inspires the authors behind your faves? Well, we found out. I'm Sarah Crudis. I'm the author of this book, Look Up Our Story with the Stars. And thank you so much for inviting me 
be part of your book club. So I started writing this book in 2019. Um, I was dividing my time between mostly London and the US. So a lot of this book was actually written in hotels or on aeroplanes and part of it was even written in Kazakhstan and Paris and Amsterdam, Germany, all kinds of crazy places around the world. Um, then obviously 2020 happened and I finished writing this book in lockdown so a very different world to the, the world I've started writing this book. I don't always enjoy writing sometimes and I think most authors will admit this, sometimes it's really hard but what I love about writing and what keeps me doing it is that it's it's something that lasts and it's something that can inspire people and encourage people to escape into a different world. So what I enjoy about writing is that, that gift to people to share my passion about why space matters and hopefully inspire as many people as possible. I think the greatest thing about going into space is not what you discover when you go into space but actually the ability to look back at Earth from that new vantage point and there's so many great songs but one of my favourite bands is Queen so I think if I was ever fortunate enough to go to space and we've got to remember that fewer than 600 of us, us humans, have ever been to space um, the music I'd listen to or certainly the album I'd listen to would be one by Queen. Well there's so many incredible facts about space um, I'd say maybe it's not the most interesting um, but for me it's certainly my favourite one and that is that when you look up at the night sky for pretty much every single star you can see in the night sky there's at least one planet orbiting around it so for all those stars you can see in the night sky they've all got their own planets they're all their own mini solar systems and that's probably my favorite fact about space that there's you know more planets out there than stars in the universe and we can't even begin to imagine what is out there and actually when you look up at the night sky it's technically possible that there could be something or someone elsewhere around one of those other star systems looking up, seeing our sun looking like a star in their night sky and wondering the same as you, wondering are we alone in the universe? So that's, well, there's two facts there, but those are some of my favorite facts about space. This is a book about space. So I would say the most interesting place, um, obviously physically writing it, I'd say the most interesting place would be Kazakhstan, where I wrote some of the book from Kazakhstan. But the, the most interesting place that my book took me to was enabling me to explore and to dream about what else is out there. That's all we've got time for this week on the Magic Book Club podcast, but join us next time for more of your favourite authors and stories. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.